0: Again, thank you very much uh, for joining everyone. Uh, this is going to be, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the format. Uh, it's going to be more or less a discussion, but the first, prob, I'm gonna uh, let prob introduce himself shortly, uh, is going to be giving a presentation. I don't know how many minutes it will be, 30, 40 minutes. I don't know. And, and then we'll have a discussion based on the presentation and if you have any other questions. So I uh, don't feel like it's it's a talk. It's more of a discussion kind of thing. And I hope it, uh, it's going to be as, uh, as active as possible. Uh, feel free to interrupt. Uh, feel free to heckle. Feel free to attack. And so far as uh, the attack makes sense, I don't mind. Even if PRAB minds, uh, who cares? Uh, he's presenting uh, a Ponzi around here, so it's uh, it's okay. His
1: <laughs> yeah. Whenever you said whenever you said you could attack, I saw him. He's like, all right. Yeah,
2: he's
0: my... like, I'm here. Yeah. So I have my way, notes
2: ready and everything. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Uh, the disclaimer, heads up on my end. I even though I like I, I did discuss this in a different uh, setting when I was starting my podcast two years ago, almost. I discussed uh, blockchain blockchain and crypto with someone who was working in the field, but I don't know the least bit about any of this. So uh, my questions are going to be uh, naive, stupid on my end, at least to try to understand a few things. But if you guys have better questions, and I'm almost sure uh, you all do. So please feel free to to jump in anytime you want. Uh, Also another thing before we start, this is not a talk to convince anyone about absolutely anything, at least on on my end, like the entire point of this discussion is to just explore a few uh, topics, a few things. And that's basically it, Uh, but anyway, so I'll leave it to pub. You can introduce yourself and feel free to just lead uh, the discussion. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, by the way, for agreeing to do this. Uh, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. no, thank Thank you for uh, thank you for the opportunity. I think uh, it helps me uh, think about it better. So it was a dual benefit. I wouldn't have signed up if it was like a favor or something. I mean, this is helping me as well. But. I, you kind of stole what I was gonna say initially, so I'm not here to like convince anybody. I don't like talking about crypto. Uh, one thing, uh, one thing I was curious about that you just mentioned um, the the previous conversation you had because I think you've mentioned and Albert before in our, in the classes and and other previous discussions. Um, I can just like go and talk about it, but maybe part of me is curious if there's a if there's a lesson or an insight anybody had from the last time, because that was something on my mind, right? Because I was like, I know, I know these guys have discussed it before. And I don't want to show up and, and, and have, have them feel, Hey, this is exactly what we talked about last time. So anybody
0: have any, any. Uh, discussed what? Uh, blockchain and crypto. and No, no, I, I discussed personally with someone like, okay, I don't okay. even okay. Uh, think anyone saw it because it was in, uh, in, and Lebanese as well. So it's, uh, yeah, no, okay. no, we, we have not done this. Uh, what we did was, by the way, Ann-Albert did, I think, touch on this in an economics course that we did, mm. but also like, don't worry about that. So no, we're all here. Just uh, like consider that this is the first time we 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 discussed this, so yeah.
1: Awesome, awesome. All right, so welcome everyone. My name is uh, Prab. I'd like to, hopefully you can see my screen and hear me fine. Um, as Decaf said, feel free to interrupt me. I'm not a crypto expert or anything like that. Uh, and so it may just be the case that someone here who's listening either right now or after happens to know 10 times more than me or 10,000 times more than me about crypto. And I'm open to that possibility. So if you hear me say something that's like crazy or wrong, um, jump in. Um, I Last week, I said this, I aim for this to be uh, more towards a stand up comedy routine and discussion than me teaching anybody anything i don't consider myself to be in a position to teach anybody anything in 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 this regard anyway um, and hopefully you can see my screen if not let me know i you should you should be seeing something called housekeeping now okay so i'll do some housekeeping before i even talk about myself um this is again i'm repeating some of the stuff decaf already said I am not a financial advisor. This is not financial advice. Do your own research. Assume all of my research is wrong. Assume everything I'm gonna talk about is wrong. Uh, I'm only talking about my own experience. Um, I'll only be talking about high level stuff. I'll go into some technicals, not, not that many technical stuff. I'll, I'll try and touch on it lightly. Um, and then m- more, more of the time I wanna spend listening to you guys and, and discussing rather than just me talking. Um, one thing I also, Want to mention is that nothing i'm gonna say here is new um one and one reason why i don't like talking about crypto is like the the common comment i get back is like whatever you're saying this is thousands of years old and yeah it is and let's yeah let's talk about those things you know so i'm not i'm not here to say this is like world changing new technology i'm biased i'm opinionated um, intention is for me to understand and hopefully maybe you can understand something I'm not here to change your mind, but I'm open to you changing my mind. So if you have something that will change my mind, let's go. Um, I'm not aiming to be right, but hopefully, usefully wrong. If you end up leaving today thinking, hey, what an idiot, I know so much more than him, good. Okay. Um, so that's the housekeeping stuff. But I'll go into what even gives me the confidence to talk about this. Uh, my name is Prabh am I'm, I'm a Sikh. Why that matters here in this context is. Uh, there's a duality in Sikhism, which is my religion, which is like uh, the learner is the teacher and the teacher is the learner. There's other dualities, but this is one of them. Um, so I've like self-learned myself crypto and self-taught myself coding, um, which which gives me like an additional amount of arrogance at the same time of uh, like, uh, what do they call that concept where you you you're never convinced that you're good enough because I'm always teaching myself it, right? So I'm never convinced I'm good enough but at the same time, I have this arrogance that I I'm teaching myself. So that's where that's where the sick part comes in. Um, and I was born and raised in India, moved to the U.S. in my teens. So I've lived half my life in both places. Um, went to school, did a bunch of corporate jobs. Uh, I did a bunch of blue collar jobs before that. I'll I'll just rush past that, and that wasn't for me. Uh, I used to work in the oil refinery, and then I went to go work in the office, and that just drove me insane. And then COVID happened, and then I had to spend even more time on the computer. Uh, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that would rather be in the field with uh, machines and uh, and people in the field, when the office, it's like everybody's sitting in the office, and it's more about gossip and politics. And that's not for me. So I ended up leaving. Uh, but what I did with my time at Shell and Apple is uh, I I sold a bunch of technology to a couple of businesses. So it's I feel at home like talking to people about it, but I also have been taught that you know you shouldn't sell. You should just tell them what this is about and let them make their own decision. Um, I can't code. I can't do math. I think that's important to mention because I'm here to tell you about crypto. So I'm not acting like a shadowy super coder or anything. I, like I barely learned JavaScript. Okay, when uh, earlier this year. So I. I making my own website was a big accomplishment for me because I have no idea how to code. And I just, you know, one, one of the self-learning things. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. My main uh, my main area of expertise is probably oil and oil supply chains. So and I'll maybe spend 60 seconds talking to you about that. Uh, and And that's important because I think everybody has a default image in their mind. Everybody has a default point of view. Everybody has a default discipline. Uh, and as far as I am aware, mine is industrial machinery because I have spent so long in oil refineries and not in the office, but out in the field with oil wells, that my first image, even when I think about crypto, is the oil molecule, is an oil drum, is the car engine, the F1 engine, if you want to be like really sleek about it. Here in America, I'd like prefer NASCAR, not to shit talk. Uh, but. You know those mechanical industrial things are my default point of view. So I'm an outsider to technology. Even though when I go talk about, talk to people, everybody's like, "Dude, you're such a Black Mirror kind of guy." You know, you're like, uh, every everything you talk about is so technological. And I'm like, I don't know. I feel in my mind, I'm more industrial than technological. Um, my main my main thing that allowed me to escape the matrix is that I uh because I used to work in the oil refinery, but my job used to be uh, to take care of inventory. So the computer thinks refineries and places and countries have X amount of oil, right? A version of that is you hear in the news, OPEC thinks America is shutting down oil, like X barrels a day, million barrels a day. And so that number is always off. In reality, it's something else. And then by the time it hits the news, the number is something else. So my main, project within the oil industry was to find a better forecasting tool and to better match how much oil we actually have versus what the computer is saying. So I'm in this weird middle zone where I'm good at computers, but my real concern is why does the computer never match what's happening in real life? That's just been my 10 years of, you know, the computer's wrong. That's I'm on that side. So now I I, uh, talk about crypto and all of a sudden people default me towards the side of you're on the side of computers. And I'm like, no, fuck computers. They're always wrong, right? That's that's just my default point of view. So that's a little about me. Hopefully I uh hopefully I made some sense there. But okay, let's switch to crypto. But then yeah, exactly. That's I wanted to point this out exactly because of Mathematica, huh? Uh, but even before we get to the crypto and Bitcoin and what it is and what I want to talk about here, I think a negative definition is probably better, at least to start with, because of what it isn't, okay. Um there was this early in in crypto maybe early 2010s I've been into crypto since maybe the mid 2010s I got into bitcoin and then 2017 I got really into ethereum but between when I when I got into it there was this phenomenon in crypto that code is law that we can build logic and we can build the world in code and then that's what that's what's going to save us and obviously that's not true right so what I what I want to talk about is a couple of things, crypto isn't before I talk about what crypto is. What it isn't is code is law. It's not, let's put all our trust in math and we can just define the world with logic. And uh, we can like somehow make the computers run the world and we don't need to worry about it. And you know, just the computer will, will take care of it. That's not what it is. Um, it's also not an infinite money machine. Um, many have tried and many keep trying and many will keep trying because it it's the, it's going to make sense why people do that. But it's, it's good to right off the bat say that it's not an infinite money machine. It's not one true answer to all problems. Um, there's, I don't know if I want to use the word maximalist, but there's definitely people who put all of their hopes and dreams into new technologies and crypto has its fair share and people are like, this is going to be it, man. This is going to, this is it. You know, that's no, I, I don't believe that. That's not what it is. Um, it's not all out libertarianism or socialism. So there's the extremes of crypto. There's two extremes, I feel. Um, the libertarian dream, which is like the, uh, I guess you can say it's right wing coded that everybody can become their own bank and everybody can be self-reliant and we don't need the government. Um, I don't think it's that. Again, it's, it goes back to the problems that aren't new. These are old problems. And People have had these visions for thousands of years that we can somehow um, make a libertarian society work. And I live in Texas. I'm surrounded by hardcore libertarians. So I'm coming from a place where um, people are gung ho about this Bitcoin stuff, crypto stuff, because it enables economic empowerment. So you can take it to the nth degree and say, you know, this is a libertarian technology. But then there's the other side of it. And it's not it's equally not if it's not libertarianism, it's equally not socialism there's a side of crypto and they call themselves uh, public goods or they call themselves EA effective altruism where their agenda is that we're gonna save the world and everybody's gonna be equal and that's their read on technology. The point I'm trying to make here is that this technology is all encompassing and the kind of people somehow I think end up revealing revealing their political stances and where they're coming from when they discuss crypto because if somebody looks at crypto and the idea of an extreme libertarian society excites them, then that's what they're, the change they're hoping for. But then there's the other aspect of crypto, which is social change in the sense of everybody's equal and we can de- develop a society where we can enable like universal basic income. And the thing is, it can enable both those things. That's the thing, it's like, it's huge. And it, you can, people call it money Legos sometimes because you can you can make uh, those type of uh, money Legos and, and hope for a society that just works around that. But it's neither here nor there. Um, it's not a way to make you rich overnight, but many people try. Um, and there's a reason why they try and we're going to get into that. Um, so all of these things I'm listing, it's it's what crypto isn't to me. It may be to you. If you see something on here that you think crypto is, uh, then that's fine. Um, I'm just saying this is what, not what it is to me. Okay. so. What is crypto? I wanna I wanna pause and ask if someone has
3: a first stab. I see you, ann Albert. I see your smile.
2: Yeah, but the smile is mostly because I have I have no clue. Like the more I. Uh... The longer it takes the less i know about crypto it's uh, it seems somehow. It. it's probably because i'm not really keeping up to date with it and, uh, yeah there are a lot of things happening i hear a couple of people saying different things and it's money yeah. it's not money it's a store of value it's not a store of value yeah um so yeah i'm not i'm not too sure anymore what it is or what it might be yeah yeah i actually curious to first hear your opinion and then uh and then yeah, uh, continue yeah. on 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 that or anyone else's opinion here. Uh, sure. Can I jump in? Yeah, I I know I know even less than Mahmoud and, and and Albert, but I'm fascinated by by the subject. My my read on it is that it is a way to find trust in a fundamentally untrustworthy un, untrustworthy world. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's my kind of summation of what it might become. Not sure it is that right now, but that's what I'm kind of hopeful about. Yeah,
4: yeah. I happen to think of it as a belief system uh, rooted in, to your point, technological innovation and a new different way to do things. Um, I think the same question could be asked, what is fiat?
3: Yeah.
4: Right? So um, for me, it's, it's, it's really, uh, a fascinating time. It's like a, to me, it's the biggest thing possibly going on, for better and worse. Um, that has you question current state. Yes. So, are we getting an NFT as a result of having attended this class?
1: Yes, I absolutely. So asked. I was hoping someone asked. I didn't want to be the one pushing NFTs. Okay, I totally have a plan, and I, I'm happy to happy to show NFTs at the end uh but to go back to the uh i didn't want to just be the one you know showing up saying i don't want i don't have anything to teach you and be like hey buy this nft but i'll i'll get to that at the end uh, right. but i think unless any, anybody else has any any input um all those all those definitions to me uh make sense and i think it's also important to understand that it's a moving definition um it's just expanding to a, now it's in a place where I, I put crypto in quotation marks here because it barely makes sense to say crypto because people don't know what you mean. It, there's too many things. Um, you know, like uh, we just had a, basically a year's worth of classes on on physics and I enjoyed that. But there's one thing that was, was enlightening to me is how many dimensions there are in physics. And without sitting down and you know, listening to Philippe talk, there's no way I would have known and I think, it reminds me that there's equally wide an array of dimensions in crypto. You could be talking about the political side. You could be talking about money. You could be talking about store of value, NFTs or coordination mechanisms. Um, and it could be all of the above and it is all of the above. There are some people that it makes them mad to hear so many definitions and they wanna, they wanna stick to, uh, <laughs> yeah, they wanna stick to a, a shorter list of definitions and then there's people who want to make the list of definitions even even broader, and so it's like it's definitely one of the most energetic spaces right now. Um, but I'll go into I'll go into my summary of, of what crypto is over over time maybe, and then we'll we'll leave it at a place where it makes a lot of sense for it to have a lot of different definitions. Um, but we'll we'll start we'll start with the ancient times. Um, all crypto is uh, is is basically the ability to cryptography basically means to encode something for a select audience who can decode your information. Um, I'm I'm not keeping an eye on the chat, so stop me, okay? Um, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep I'll keep looking at it here here and here and there. Um, but basically, cryptography is the ability to say something encoded that the intended party can decode. And if you think about how long that's been happening it's been happening for thousands of years i looked up on wikipedia there's like examples from 1900 bc because of course there are right um (laughs) and, and that that's the picture i put on the on the top right people have been doing ciphers and um in from the indian history books there's like the kama sutra came up where lovers have been they're like society doesn't want them to be lovers and they like write like weird messages that only their lovers can understand there's Roman armies that have a particular example that I was uh, I was stunned by was that they'd write like messages on on slaves' heads so you had to shave them and then it's debatable whether cryptography or not but the the point is that it's a message intended for someone and they have to have a way to then decrypt that decode that um, that became a little more sophisticated than the medieval times. I had a question here. Can I ask you a question? Can I go back into like my my student role here? I know you. There was a there was a course, an entire month course on on Arabic Arabic science or whatever. Is there for, is there a way for me to get access on that? I think it was in October, September. I missed that one. I wasn't here for that one. Do you know what I'm talking about? On what? Philippe Philippe did a course on uh, focused on Arabic scholars. Do you know what no, I'm talking Islamic
0: about? Islamic philosophy. That is- was Islamic uh, that philosophy. Was- I'm sorry. Islamic- <laughs> Yeah, that was Hani Hassan, not uh, not Philippe. Philippe gave only one oh, session, sorry. but the the bulk of uh, of the lectures was uh, were given by uh, Hani.
1: Yeah. Yes. So my curiosity, we should do that as an NFT because I'm like, how do I get access? I missed out on that. Okay, so how do I get access to that? That's my question.
0: Well, I'll I'll send you the link. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. See, I got something out of this. And uh, Leo is saying, at the most basic level, it's a way to prevent double expenditure of money.
1: Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, and and it, it it got to that in the, I want to say, in the in the mid-80s to the 90s, right? Because before that, people were, uh, thanks, Luca, people were, before the 80s, in the medieval times, there were statistical analysis going on in the Arabic world. Uh, something I remember Decap mentioning in the language course is there's like these three-digit Arabic uh, meanings, and words have three-digit meanings, and that's like almost a statistical analysis of of language, and that's also uh, an example of some cryptography there's cryptography in the political and the religious sense there are Sufi saints in India and their poetry is so cryptic that you can't, it's, I love it because you can't tell if they're talking about God or alcohol or like their lovers. And it's amazing because that's what makes it amazing. Cause no matter who wants to look at it like that, that's what they read. So it's intended for the user and how they decode it. So it's like multidimensional, but you know, in context of modern crypto, um, Maybe there's 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 more interesting stuff in the ancient and medieval times that I'm I'm skipping past, but in the modern times, crypto is just encryption, especially after uh, the internet age. Before the internet, it was wartime. There's a Benedict Cumberbatch movie, The Imitation Game. It's about cryptography. He's like playing Alan Turing. Excellent movie, I think. Uh, but even in in more recent times, it's just online shopping, right? In the '90s, I remember the first time I bought a T-shirt on the internet. And people were scared of putting their credit card or banking information online, right? That was a huge concern. And it should be a concern. Why should I put my credit card information on a random website? But we don't have a concern now because encryption is a thing, right? Now, Elon Musk is pushing for encryption on Twitter DMs and all of that stuff. So that, those are modern examples. But there was, a, there was a big shift in 1982 when this person called Leslie Lamport. They wrote a paper called the Byzantine General's Problem. You'll hear this all the time. You're, you'll hear the Byzantine General's problem all the time. So I wanna explain maybe a, a few quick things about it. What the Byzantine General's problem is, it sounds very fancy and you know, philosophical. It's trying to solve a computer network's reliability problem. So in the oil field, what happens is oil refineries, when you turn on an oil refinery, it's supposed to keep going, right? When it fails, it costs you money. In computer networks, when you run a Twitter or Instagram, it's supposed to just keep going. If, if it shuts down, per- productivity loss happens. People lose tons and tons of money. So people have been studying computer networks, more specifically distributed networks, and how to keep them running. In one word, that's called reliability. So Leslie Lamport, this Byzantine general's problem, was a computer reliability problem. And what he was trying to do is to say the, the setup he had was, let's say there's lieutenants and generals and they're supposed to coordinate attacking on an enemy. This is just an analogy, but really he's talking about computer networks. Um, and the, the assumption is that some of, the, some of the generals and lieutenants are loyal and some are, are traitors. So how do you manage a network of an army and coordinate them right in, in the scenario where you don't know how many of them are traitors? Right? So this problem, and you can read the paper, I'll, I'll put the link in the discord and stuff. Uh, it's this problem he analyzed in a couple of different ways whether the messages are or, whether, uh, they have mes- the, the, the lieutenants and the generals have messengers between them. There's many details to this. He analyzed how many generals does it take and how many traders does it take? This is called the fault tolerance. What kind of messages are they sending between each other? Are they oral or are they signed? Are they sealed? so the other party knows this is an encryption again. Um, And so he does a bunch of complicated math to come up with a solution to the Byzantine General's problem. People think Satoshi Nakamoto solved the Byzantine General's problem. It was Leslie Lamport. He, He solved the Byzantine General's problem, still alive. I think he has a bunch of papers at Microsoft and stuff like that. A huge breakthrough, because what it allowed you to do is run a computer network in the face of an attack in the face of an X percentage of the network can be a trader and the network keeps running, okay? And so the use case for this in the 80s and the 90s was what we use in daily life. Twitch right now, Zoom, all of these computers are running on a distributed network of computers where part of the network can fail and the app will keep running, the network will keep running. Um, In the oil world, there's a, there's a very popular example about air, airline pilots, where uh, this is this is computer networks and it's informational stuff, right? But if in the physical world, let's say a part of the airplane fails in midair, the rest of the machines have to keep operating, right? So they, in the specific part that has failed in this example, he'd be a, a trainer. So he, he's sending mixed, the part is sending mixed messages to different parts of the airplane. And the rest of the airplane still has to keep functioning, so it has use, uses, you know, outside of computer networks. And then in 1993, I think I got the name of this paper wrong, by the way, so ignore it. But uh, Mina Noir and um, Cynthia Dwork, they had another idea called denial of service attacks. This was the use case was email spam. What what this did was um, they suggested that every time you send an email, it didn't end up happening. But they suggested every time you send up send an email you should burn a little electricity that costs you money, costs you like a penny or something. What that does is like, you can send emails to your friends and you can spend a couple of pennies, but it, it deters someone from spend, sending email spam to a million people because then they rack up a bill the more they do it, right? Um, this was a use case. So now in the 80s and the 90s, there was this cypherpunk moment that you'll read a lot about online. Um, the cypherpunks, what they wanted to do is they wanted to take the Byzantine general's problem and they wanted to take uh, the noir denial of service attacks solution to come up with a way to, to have a money where nobody has a higher authority on the monetary system, which is a noble goal, you know, like obviously you can imagine a bunch of people wanting such a, such a money and that's the, that's the innovation Satoshi Nakamoto did. Satoshi Nakamoto did not solve the Byzantine generals problem. Satoshi Nakamoto did not come up with the proof of work idea, which is the denial of service attacks. Satoshi Nakamoto introduced something called crypto economics and it has, it's revolutionary in its own way, but it's putting the Leslie Lamport and Mina Noir ideas together to say, and you can read the Bitcoin white paper, it goes into many details of this, to say in a network, where there's X percentage of traders, you should still be able to coordinate based on the fact that you're incentivizing them with some kind of coin. And nobody has higher authority on those coins than anybody else. It's just an incentive mechanism. And I know this is like super abstract. This is the most technical I'll get. It's gonna get funny again in in a little bit, I promise. But that's what Satoshi Nakamoto did. He took Leslie Lamport's idea and he took the denial of service attacks idea. He created a monetary use case. To say it's a peer-to-peer electronic cash system running on a network of nodes where x percent of nodes can go down, y percent of the nodes can uh why yeah, I know, why I assume this as gender. Y percent of the y percent of the nodes can be traders and the network keeps going because the players in it are economically incentivized. There was one more uh, innovation that he did before Satoshi Nakamoto. um, There's many innovations that he did, but one more I want to point out here. There's uh, before Satoshi Nakamoto in Leslie Lamport's and Mina Noir's point of view, you could still have this network with X percent traders that keeps running as long as you know who the computers in the networks are. So Toshi Nakamoto, because of this economic incentivization, in his new framework, you don't have to know who the networks uh, nodes in the computer are. That's huge, right? But it slows down slows down the network. That's you. That's a result. That's an end result of that. But it's the the and I'll talk talk more about this in the next slide. But the the main innovation was that you just went from Uh, Twitter or a Twitch or a Microsoft or Apple or a Google saying we have, you know, 10,000 servers around the world. And yeah, X percent of the network can go down and our service will keep running. Yes. But Satoshi Nakamoto said, you can do the same thing without knowing who who those computers are because they're economically incentivized. They're economically incentivized by this thing he called Bitcoin. And for a long time, um, for a long time, he was, you know, the Bitcoin was like almost next to free to burn because it was running that denial of service attack idea where you can burn a penny worth of thing, and that's proof that you spent some you know power. you you, you spent some work, uh, this proof of work. and then you know things got things got crazy. Now it's like worth I don't know sixteen thousand seventeen thousand whatever it is worth. Um, i'll I'll pause here and say one thing in in context of scams because I love scams. I'm attracted to scams. it's so interesting, you know. But because of the dynamic that Satoshi Nakamoto did, it doesn't stop anybody else from going around and deploying the same dynamic. That's why there's like 10,000 coins, people saying, oh yeah, I also have a network that, I also have a network that doesn't go down. And, but except for BTC, it's this FTT coin or it's like, what, Philo coin, some, whatever, right? It's some coin and it's running on a network and X percent of the network can go down and the players are economically, there's no, nothing stopping from other people to copy this dynamic. And that's why there are so many scams. Um, but between the scams, among the scams, every few, every few so often, it took six years, but this Russian-Canadian gentleman, Vitalik Peter, very smart. He took the same idea of Satoshi Nakamoto whose intention was to create a peer-to-peer cash. This guy, Vitalik, who made Ethereum, and not everybody's considered, convinced of Ethereum, and that's fine. But his, his vision was, why can't we also do that with computation power? Why can't we just run apps on that? Why can't we make it a general purpose instead of just having the purpose of it be money or peer-to-peer cash? Why can we not run the same network that is incentivized uh, for people to keep it safe and secure and X percent of the network can go down and it's gonna keep running, but instead of running money, it's running applications. Some people like that, some don't, some think that's that can be done on an existing Microsoft or Google network and some don't, and that's up to it, but that was, that was his vision, okay? One last thing I wanna talk about here is Nassim Taleb and um, because I, I truly believe they fall in the same category, they're about the same thing, but Nassim's point of view on this whole timeline that I'm pointing out here is that, yeah, you can have a network, Yeah, you can incentivize people to keep the network up. Yeah, X percent of the network can go down and it's going to keep running. But none of that means that the token has value. None of that means that the token has value. And, you know, he may have a point. Who knows? (laughs) Time will tell. But he's thinking about the same thing from a mathematical perspective. Uh, He's questioning And it's kind of good that that happened, you know, because everybody's so gung-ho about it. Everybody's so hyped about it. I was kind of glad to see some guy show up and say, you know, it's not all that because everybody was like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. This is fucking awesome. Then uh, he came about and he's like, well, Bitcoin is worth zero, um, you know, mi- mixed reactions there. Um, but it's worth it's worth reading because he's in the face of all this timeline that I'm pointing out. He's the one coming in and saying, all that's valid, but that's not to say that the currency or the economic incentive um, has to have real world value. And uh, And he may have a point. I don't know. I'll, I'll pause. I'll pause and ask if anybody else has any
3: thoughts before moving to the next slide. I guess the one thing that
4: I associate with crypto, yeah, um, is that it is right. It is software dominant, so it mm-hmm. removes generally, and it was particularly when, I, when you speak to Bitcoin, right? There's a big difference, and I think crypto gives crypto a bad name. Yeah. Um, but there is uh, I mean, man, Bitcoin, right? There the, it's I'd love to hear your thoughts and where we're going, but you know, how is it not a perfect protocol and technological project that removes people from technology, policy decisions, self-interests? Uh and I, I asked that of course, and then um knowing that right there are some whales that got in early and, you know, benefit, benefit more than the altruistic promise of democratized economy. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's, that's the the only issue that I have with kind of like, I think when he, when I saw him make the pivot, I thought it was because, um, he didn't view. He he no longer. He came to the conclusion that it wasn't a currency. I believe was his tweet,
3: mm-hmm. something
4: to that effect. Yeah, yeah. When in, when in fact it's a currency if enough people accept it to be a <clears throat> currency. Yes. Anyway, um, I, I I do believe that was his tweet because I'm a big fan, but I don't necessarily. Yeah, um
1: I think yeah, uh, yeah. As Decaf pointed out, his his paper is strictly from a financial perspective. Um and I'd like to there's an article called the tale of two talebs or something. I, I'm not sure if I've read it, but I like the I like the headline. Uh, because right. the two Talebs, I in my point of view in my world, there's one Taleb that you meet in his in his papers. And he is extremely sharp and very well defined and you have to know exactly what he's talking about. And there's no two ways about it. And then there's the cryptic to have you meet on Twitter, where he says something and six people read it six different ways, right? And he has fun with it, in my opinion. And I, I love following the guy because of this, right? But in the paper, the Bitcoin paper, he's being extremely sharply surgical about the finance aspect of Bitcoin. Um and so I think what I don't I I could be I could be eating my words here a little bit later, but in my opinion. He's not pointing out fallacies in the way you pointed out Bitcoin. I think in fact, he even agrees with with that coordination mechanism. He agrees with the innovation, but what he's pointing out is the very incredibly thin and sharp financial side of Bitcoin, where he's saying there's no absorbing barrier. He's studying it for fragility, where the players involved, where I'm pointing out in the, uh, the computer network, according to him, a in a black swan event or a a tail event as he calls it um there's nothing stopping from the entire network to go down and so in his opinion when that happens and he's not predicting when it'll happen he doesn't do that with most things but he's saying when something like that happens there won't be an absorbing barrier and it's going to go to zero and he's pointing to the fact that it's it's going to happen sooner or later tomorrow 100 years from now something's going to happen that's going to disincentivize everybody in the network to leave or incentivize them to leave. Um, I think that's the way I read it. I'd be curious if anybody else has
2: any opinions. That's a long time ago that I read it, but if I'm not mistaken, I think he also mentions like the very fact that it's not being used as money uh, ensures that there is no absorbing barrier. Like suppose everything or a lot of things would be paid in Bitcoin or government salaries would be paid in Bitcoin, for instance. Then there. wouldn't there would not really be a possibility for such a Black Swan event or at least not the consequences of that Black Swan event uh, right. getting the value to to zero bit to kill because it is not used like that. there is uh, there is no such thing that can prevent that. which I think yeah. is a, is a fair point and of course doesn't mean that fundamentally there could not be such a thing as crypto money.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, But it really does depend on on whether it will actually be uh, be used and whether people believe it will be uh, will be used. Mm
4: -hmm. I think the only counter to that that the use is like in the U.S. You're in theory dissent advised that's the word from actually using it, right? Because you're creating a taxable event. So I can't even imagine a world where I'm going to use my Bitcoin today to buy a cup of coffee, where people reference and I the other. Point that I'm making, I, th- I think it's relative to the slide that we're on, right? Because we're going from ancient times to medieval to modern. I mean, in the span of our history, um, we're so early in this uh, crypto journey. And the fact that today, right, you know, what Jack Maulers does with Strike to make it easier to move worldwide money and use, I don't know if the expectations aren't baked to perfection sometimes.
1: Mhm.
4: As my only question as it relates to actual use cases.
1: Yeah. There's one there's one thing that I'm thinking of hearing hearing both of you talk that you know it's not being used as cash for, for tax reasons and, and and whatever else but I think that's also a, a a point of tension between what people call crypto and what people call bitcoin right? Because because once the dynamic is defined and out there there's other people coming out and saying Ethereum is also money. There's an entire section of Ethereum that's like gung-ho about it being sound money or something, they call it. Right. And so to a to a person that is new or out on the outside, they come in and ask, Well, what's the difference between Bitcoin and crypto? And I'm thinking of the meme where uh, you know, someone asks, Are you two friends? And crypto people are like, Yeah, we're friends with Bitcoin people. And Bitcoin people are like, No, we're not friends with these people, right? Because these people want to have another version of money and and Bitcoin is the is the money to them. And and there's you know multiple reasons for that. And we can probably have uh, an entire hour-long discussion just on that. But that's also what I'm thinking of that it's not being used as cash because there's other dynamics and other chains coming in and claiming that they are also cash. So it, it makes the waters even, even muddier. Um okay, I see I see Rudy just joined. Hey Rudy, um, if you if you if you jump in, um uh,
5: Hey, hey, sorry, guys. You know, I thought seven is our normal time. You guys actually, you know, confused. confused. <laughs> There's sorry a game.
0: There's a game at eight. That's why.
5: Oh, man. You know, everything bows to the World Cup. I see.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: But we, I don't think you missed anything. Uh, everything I've just talked about is just uh, briefing everyone the, like, a uh, very brief history of cryptography and, and where we are today with, with Satoshi and Ethereum and the and uh Nassim Taleb's criticism. Um, so, I I was cryptic myself when I wrote the description for this uh, for this uh, talk or discussion um, because I wrote these I wrote these words and I, I very carefully chose them. Right, transfer because I, I, most people I I was aware of the uh, dynamic where people come at me and like you are the guy selling crypto and you are the guy you know on the computer side and as I pointed out when I spoke about me I'm the guy saying computers are full of shit right. But because I know people say that to me, I was like, I use these words called transform identity or reshaping markets and uh, I, uh, altering the concept of ownership. I almost expect this like a bait, you know, I'm just expecting people to people to come at me. And and that didn't happen. I was kind of disappointed. But I want to I want to go zoom in a little more about what I what I said in the description so I can maybe set the record straight and and we can leave uh, laughing at me one more time for. For writing such a thing. Also, side note: I think I wrote that before the whole FDX headlines hit. So I wrote it and sent it to Decaf, and I think a couple of uh, days later, a week later, the whole FDX thing came out, and it had me thinking. I'm like, should I change this? I sound like such a, a pro crypto person here. So it, it had a it had another effect. But let's. Uh, somebody mentioned in the chat there's a pre Satoshi and uh, post Satoshi comparison they liked. So I have another one in in concept of identity. I think. One innovation that, that Satoshi did, because distributed computing was already a thing in the 80s, um, people already had the mindset of proof of work and, you know, burning electricity to to show someone that they they did some they did some work before they send a transaction or in in, in that case an email. But like I said, the innovation. One big innovation that Satoshi did is that instead of knowing who all the computers are in the network, you don't have to know who they are and X, X percent of them can be traders. And because they're economically incentivized, things would work out. So I wanted to zoom in that when I said it's transforming identity, crypto is transforming identity, that's specifically what I mean. I mean that the identity of the network devices goes from all known and trusted to you don't have to know who the network is being run by. And you don't have to trust who the computers in the network are because they're economically incentivized. So it's much more of a literal transformation than you'd see something like in the office, where, you know, I don't know if everybody watches The Office here, where they, they show up to the office and Dwight's playing this game where he's playing in happy like another life in the computer and that's his second identity. And I wanted people to re- have that point of view and show up here and say, you know, realize it's more of a, a literal. Literal transformation in identity than than you know become somebody else and go into the computer and wear, wear VR goggles or something like that so it's a it's a literal transformation in identity where you go from the network players being known to some of the players are unknown and even anonymous and it works fine because they're being paid in BCC um, so that's that's me saying it's transformed identity another one I said because I wanted to like tease about NFTs is it's altering the concept of ownership so I'll pause again. Thoughts on, thoughts on NFTs here. Any good or bad, you can bash them. Um,
4: can you go back to the last slide for just one quick sec? Sure.
1: Qu- any questions?
4: Well, besides identity, I also think of it um, economically, right? Because on in your left, you know, you've seen on Twitter, right, what Apple's doing in their app store and how extractive yeah. they are. Yeah. Uh, and certainly in, in, the, in the right-hand side of the world, it's generally... Uh, there's less friction and drag and uh, yeah. cost another, and another
3: control. way to
1: Yes, uh, another uh, short way to think about and um, hopefully Talmo listens to this after because I think he pointed out something very cool in Discord. Um, another difference is that in the right, everybody has the access to go become a root user of the blockchain. They don't have to right? But on the left, if there's a Twitter, if there's an Apple, some people by definition have better rights to the system than most people. And Google's whole thing was, you know, don't do evil for like 20 years. Yeah, don't do evil, but you still have the key, right? So you can do evil. You're just saying we're not going to do it, right? But in in crypto, everybody's a root user, or at least they have the option to. You don't have to become a root user, but nobody's, it's this thing called permissionlessness, nobody's stopping you to go to start running node. And then you just have the entire copy of the blockchain. Nobody has any more privilege than you. And it's, you know, it's a higher order discussion of who owns most of the network and whether or not that's a good thing or not. But the way the network is designed, nobody's stopping you from becoming a root user. That's definitely not the case with Twitter. That's definitely not the case with YouTube, Any any other platform. Somebody has a key that opens more doors than the key you have. But that's not the case in crypto. Everybody's keys work the same way.
5: Um, hey, Rob, can, I, can yes. I just very quickly, when you, when you mentioned crypto, you, you, you mean Bitcoin, right, in this case? Or do you talk about crypto in general? Because what you just said is definitely the case with Bitcoin, and that's why many people like it. But it's probably not the case for many other cryptocurrencies, right? So this decentralized versus centralized is a huge distinction. Yeah. And, and I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Uh, in, but it just applies to certain cryptos.
1: Absolutely. Um so I'll I'll go back here and, and what Rudy's talking about is the difference between 2008 and 2014. Right. So Rudy, before you jumped in, I was I was telling them about like the the difference between Bitcoin and, and, and Ethereum and what Ethereum is trying to do is make like a world computer and do run programs on the same thing you lose something when you try to do that. And that's what Rudy's pointing at. When you make this distributed network do more stuff, you lose some decentralization, right? And so what I'm pointing out in the identity case here where some part of the network can be unknown and it works just fine, that's yes, true for Bitcoin. But when other chains are, are going around saying, we're the same as Bitcoin, They're not because it's the architectural difference. And they they know who the players are. It's not an open system and they they go around saying it is, but in that sense, Bitcoin is the is the true decentralized system. Absolutely.
0: Um,
4: the one other thing related to that slide too is right, the the on the right hand side, on the left hand side, you don't own your data, right hand side you do. Good. Good. On the on this side on this slide, yeah. On the left hand side, you don't own your data. Corporations own your data. On the right hand side, you own your data.
1: Right. There's there's uh there's downsides to that too. Like the way it exists, you do own your data. The way it exists right now is everybody can just go see it. You know, like even though you own it. Yeah. If I if I know your address, I can just go and see it, and that's not the case in a closed. uh, closed garden or whatever they call it on the left where even though you don't own it, it's still hidden away from the rest of the world to go look up my name and see exactly what I own and exactly how much I have. Um yep.
4: Although we we do see some of that more and more even in the left hand column, right? I mean if you give me your address I'm like I go to Zillow, I'm like, oh what did he buy yeah. the house for? Is he renting? Did he own what you he, well, he paid <laughs> that much? Right. Yeah, so, yeah. we're on the left hand side that transparency is increasing. But Yeah. But yeah one, you know, of the
1: other, one of the other things I do besides crypto is like consulting work. And every time I'm talking to a new person, I totally sock them. I'll look them up, what are their interests? And, you know, there's nothing to hide. It's like, it's all there on Google, man. I'm not I'm not trying to do like FBI work. It's just there. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about ownership. That's the other thing I said. Uh, I said, transform identity and uh, it alters ownership. So how does it alter ownership? And to Rudy's point, this is more true for Bitcoin than it is for any 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 other chain. Um, but I'll go back to my oil, oil roots and, and discuss this in terms of uh, oil barrel. So let's pretend, I don't know why, but let's pretend you need an oil barrel. I right, need an oil barrel. Everybody needs one oil barrel. And you go to your local oil company and you say, can I get one oil barrel please, Halliburton or Shell or Exxon, whoever, right? You say, and they give you oil barrel and they give you some sort of an invoice and receipt to it. So what does that and this? It doesn't have to be an oil barrel. It could be like a sneaker. It could be any milk, anything. You get a receipt saying you purchased this item from us, or it could be the bank, and you could go to the bank and say, "Can you show me how much money I have?" And they print you a receipt, you know, saying how much money you have. Uh, what does that receipt really mean? The receipt means that the bank has a master copy of what just happened. This is what I was pointing out earlier. What I did, what I used to do in the oil industry, the oil company has a master copy or the country has a master copy of how much oil they have. They give you a barrel of oil, they give you a receipt that says, now this barrel of oil is yours. But who's really saying that? Who's really saying it's yours? You could say that all day long, but it has to transfer it from from them to you, right? So it's again, the problem of some decentralization, somebody has higher authority on what just happened than you, right? there's, uh, there's, there's scholars in the crypto world that talk about it in a very edgy way in, in terms of how much money you have in your bank. The bank can just change that number and you have no way to go and have more rights than them. right? But because in the crypto world, it's the network that's running the state. It's not a party in the middle that's coordinating who owns what. It's a decentralized database. The, and, you know, <laughs> there's reasons oil companies don't want to do this, because it's the same reason that if they put it on the blockchain, then everybody can just see who bought the barrel of oil from who and that who is it right now with nobody has any any higher authority to go just delete the fact that you got an oil barrel. Right. Um, this, again, could work for many other things. It doesn't have to be an oil barrel. But the receipt here, the receipt is the NFT. One thing I wanted to point out here is that people people think people debate all all day long. What is NFTs in? And people point out that the NFT isn't the actual image; it's a hash of, it's a hash record. Da, 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 da Yeah, agreed, full on, right? The NFT is the actual receipt. But who is the receipt between? It's not between you and a higher party. It's not between you and someone who has more rights than you, right? The the the. It's a small change, and maybe going back to Nassim Taleb's criticism, it's not worth money at all. And forget you know half a million dollar monkey pictures. But the change that's happening in the ownership is that the master record of what you own isn't in the hands of a party that can just go delete it. Now, do they delete it? Most of the time it doesn't happen. Like most people aren't Andrew Tate or Donald Trump. Those are the Kanye West. You know, those are the people you hear that, oh, Chase just like got rid of his money, closed his bank account. Most of us, none of that will happen in our lives. But it's an innovation that allows an alternative in which... A second person does not have a higher uh, authority or right than you to go change what happened in the receipt. Um, I have one NFT I should have made more. I wasn't expecting this many people show up. I have an NFT that I'll uh, I'll go over at the end. Uh, my money was gone, but that's a different thing. You wanna, you wanna talk about it or I should just go on? No? Okay. Um, so the last thing I mentioned is reshaping markets. It's all, this is all sitting on top of the innovation of Satoshi Nakamoto where instead of a known number of players running the network, it can be an unknown number of players. And because they're economically incentivized, the network keeps running, even if X percent of the network is traders. So one simple example is it doesn't have to be a bank, it could be like FTX or crypto.com. Same thing. They have a they have a higher, a higher authority on your money. And that, you know. One, one, re- one thing that's crazy right now that's happening with this whole FDX situation is that people trusted the Sam Bankman guy and, and his FTT token, and, and they thought they were buying Bitcoin. And it turned out that they didn't have any Bitcoin on their balance sheet. They didn't have any Bitcoin. And they were just like giving them receipts so that you have Bitcoin. That's the dark example I'm giving where some your bank could be saying, yeah, you have your money. Yeah, you have your money. And the day you show up and they're like, yeah, those receipts were just made up, right? Um, so that's the way a centralized finance world works. This is not to say centralized finance is bad. Uh, in fact, when it comes to finance, I'll keep going back to the, the surgical version of Nassim Taleb, listen to, listen to people like him, they've been in the finance game for so long. You, you don't, you don't want to do something that's against what they recommend, right? Uh, you want to listen to the people that are successful in the old, old world and the the legacy markets. That's not to say that the new alternative is not innovative. It's innovative because the way I, the analogy I like to think about, I think of them like vending machines. So instead of going to the bank and this, I'm going, I'm breaking my earlier assumption of saying, I don't believe in code is law, but I kind of do here, is instead of going to the bank and saying, can I uh, get Indian rupees for this like hundred dollars or something, instead I'm going to this vending machine like ah, app, there's a bunch of them. There's Uniswap, there's Aave. I'm sure there's a Bitcoin version of this. And basically it's a smart contract that you're dealing with instead of uh, an institution. So the contract itself is dumb. Um, you know, I attended I attended Real World Risk Institute last year and I couldn't stop laughing. Nassim Taleb said, the thing about smart contracts is they're neither smart uh, or uh, nor contracts. And he's right, they're vending machines. They're not, they're stupid, right? You just, they're meant to do something. And as long as the logic is sound, You put in the coin and it does what it's supposed to do. So in this case, in a decentralized finance world, I'd walk into one of these vending machines and say, hey, can I exchange one USD for or one BTC for ETH? Now, people don't want to do that. That's another thing. But the fact is that the vending machine itself has way less authority over me than a bank would, right? And maybe it could be that whoever coded the vending machine, whoever coded the smart contract messed up and it's not as good as they're going around saying it is and that's that's always a possibility but i'm not depending on another person another institution i'm depending on this code that hopefully over time even if it has flaws fixes itself um so that's that's how it's reshaping markets um this is the one that i'm i'm, I'm least least convinced about because um <clears throat> everything that a decentralized Finance application does a centralized finance application also does. So it, it's something that you have to just go and you know experience rather than than you can get in, in abstraction. But I want to ask if anybody has experience in DeFi. They call this DeFi decentralized finance. Anybody? Uh...
5: I, I don't have a really. I mean, one of the advantages, I believe, you know, what you what you just said is absolutely true. You need to trust the code, right? But yeah. isn't one of the advantages that these guys put out here? They would probably say yes, and they, and and we actually even you know uh, go out and we 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 make this code public, right? It's open source code. You can actually everybody can audit it. So if yeah. there's a fl- flaw, you know, they they pretty much rely on the wisdom of the crowds, you know, to correct this if if, if something's wrong, you know. And 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 I think this is a it's not a bad argument, by the way.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah that's that's absolutely correct like and i think um the hope here is that each failure makes the wisdom of the crowd better off now does that happen i don't know um will will it will it make us infinitely better off i don't know um but it's uh that's the hope that every time a failure happens we can fix the code and the next failure happens we can fix the code at least we don't have to uh trust uh, FTX or a, an institution again, and I can just go around um, transacting with these vending machines. Now, I think Peter mentioned the tax argument earlier. Those things are, it. this new innovation comes with new problems, right? There's no customer service you can call. Like if something goes wrong, a bank helps you reset your password. Hopefully they get you your money back. Not all the time, but there's at least some hope in a, in a smart contract in these, decentralized finance worlds. And I've been in in the situation a handful of times where I send a transaction and it just goes into this black box. I don't know what happened. There's nobody I can call. I just have to do my own Googling of like, maybe go cry in a fetus position or something. But that definitely does happen. You can't, the, the downside to this is that you are gaining control, maybe too much control for most people. On where your money is going and what's happening with it, um, if it if it goes haywire and this is another opportunity for scams for people, if your friend convinces you to go buy I don't know a hundred Philo coins or something and they don't know what they're talking about because they copied the code I'm talking about myself here because they copied the code from a website or something, you know there's nobody there's nobody you can blame. You just have to be like, dude, I trusted you and you broke my trust and now now we're both broke that's totally a situation that can happen. And those are new problems that don't exist or maybe they existed early on in the centralized finance world, Uh, but we've kind of gotten past them. Um, All right, so I talked briefly about, I'm almost done by the way. So I'll I'll talk briefly about how it's transforming identity. It's quite the literal transformation. It's not like uh, going to live in uh, Minecraft or something. Uh, it's altering ownership because the receipt now is between not an institution and you. It's between the network and you directly uh, comes with upshot and down, uh, upsides and downsides. And then because you are a root user of the network and the network has inherent value because of the economic incentives built in, you can just go play money Legos on your own. Nobody's stopping you to do it. Um, that's both good and bad. People, there's people that are, are asking for regulation in this. And I think that's I'm I'm on the side weirdly that is good okay with regulation. I don't see regulation as being restrictive. Um if anything, I'm I'm off the same opinion when it comes to AI. Um, there should be somebody that's at least thinking deeply about um what this innovation means for a large chunk of society. Um I mean, everybody's not, I'm being sarcastic here, but everybody's not wise like me, right? If you give them this power, they're not gonna be watchful. And I'm, I'm barely watchful, but uh, you have to You have to know that this is like, this is a huge jump and it's like giving everybody, uh, this is like going from a public transport system to giving everybody a Tesla. Bad things will happen, right? Everybody can just go drive and everybody can just do things and, uh, both sides, people are allowed to sell anything they want in these decentralized finance markets. And then people are allowed to buy anything they want. That's one big reason why there's all these coins. People are like, buy my coin and they convince and there's no argument other than the next person has to buy the coin. That's the only argument. Um, and if if that's your game, then you know, <laughs> this is a 24 seven casino. Um, so, okay, Any, everything I just said, You must be thinking, or if if not, I'm putting this in your head. Yeah, okay, whatever. Why should I care? And excellent question. If you don't have to worry about it, don't worry about it. That's my my assumption. If this interests you, um, it's open. And anybody can just go check it out. And I suggest you uh, start very small and don't put anything in it that you wouldn't worry about like would be sad about losing. Um, But at the end of the day, crypto is just software. I wanna keep, um, Rudy made an excellent point, right? Crypto is just software. Bitcoin isn't just software. Bitcoin is more than software. Bitcoin is trying to like aim to be the the money layer, right? And that means way more than a bunch of people saying we can use technology to make these money Legos, to make these vending machines. The seriousness of the argument changes. so it's, it's just, most of it is just software. Most of it is, it is scams. I don't know if it's worse than philosophy. I like, I wanna, I wanna, you know, dwell on that a little bit, but here's, here's where I shield my NFT. Okay, so <clears throat> I made this picture into an NFT. I can make more, but I, this is only one. So either you scan this QR code or you can go to my name, pravrandawa.com slash quest. you know, I, I put a verif- verification badge there. It's eight dollars USDC. Um, or you know, if you don't if you don't want to bother with all of that, just give me your address and I'll just send you it. Okay. Uh, but this is this is a fun way to to end pragmatically because all of this stuff is so deep and is so wide and has so many dimensions that it's 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 hard and it's even stupid for me to say. You should go do X. No, you don't listen to me at all. The whole the whole thing is about not listening and not trusting, and you're the root user and you have the access to the blockchain. But here's an analogy I tell people that I talk to um, about like Bitcoin and stuff. The thing, the thing that you want to pay attention to, I'll, I'll go back to this uh Mina Noir um, email spam example. So let's pretend it's the early 90s and someone is saying, hey, there's this new technology called email it just like i'm saying it you know crypto this crypto people say it allows you to send money anywhere da da yeah 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 all that's true you know all that's true and the evolution of that's going to keep happening but what i insist on on my friends and family with uh all right thanks shane i uh, appreciate you being here uh but what i insist my my friends and family to do is to at least know how to receive it send it and log into a website with it that's and you don't have to for that for that for you to do that, you don't have to have money or you, have, you don't have to put money into this. A lot of people to zoom any, anytime you bring up cryptos that this is like a rich people's toy. those are like common assumptions and I'm more than happy to entertain that and and you know to to some degree it is. Um, but what's what you want to do is you want to be the person in, in early 90s and if someone's talking about PowerPoint and email, you don't want to, maybe you want to put money in Microsoft or something. I don't know. I'll leave, I'll leave you, I'll leave you to that. But you want to definitely know how to send emails, receive emails and sign into your email account. That's not negotiable pretty much. And the rest of it is up to your risk tolerance and how much you're comfortable with. Uh, That's my, my pragmatic advice. And in the face of all these scams and everything that's, that's happening, that's not good for the world. What's, for sure is in about 20 years, maybe there'd be a safer way. There'll be a much better way, but this thing is here to stay. And you should at least know how to send it, receive it because you know, you never know you'll be in this black swan event type situation where you're like, Oh, I wish I had, I wish I had some Bitcoin or something. And in that case, you, that's not the first time you should be interacting with the technology. So the, the pragmatic advice I have is interact with it for free, learn how to send it, receive it. And, uh, and buy my NFT. Look how awesome it is. I spent an entirety of like five minutes on it. Um,
4: it's a fancy bridge. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> the Quest. Um, The other thing that I would add to the, anybody who perhaps hasn't started is, um, get a, get a hardware wallet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of perhaps the learning process, but it's important just to say, you know, like don't the part of the, the reason this has happened, is not relying on a centralized institution. That's a scam and to, for self sovereignty and custody of what you own, regardless of what it is, but, you know, buy it directly from the, the vendor website, heart, you know, ledger treasure, easy to find, but in the spirit of security and sovereignty, that's a big part of the learning experience.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you have to like kind of the way it's set up in most places. You kind of have to depend on some centralized entity like a bank or a or a crypto.com and Coinbase or oh, unfortunately some of them turn out to be FTX. But the uh, but the I think wise thing to do is is exactly what you said. Like once you once you have some once you're done depending on them for the initial transaction and now you have Bitcoin in your possession, um, the wise thing to do is now make a wallet of your own hashtag download MetaMask or get rainbow. One of those things that, uh, uh, the best, the best ideal would be what Peter just said, a hardware wallet, but it's, it's a, it's also, I also understand that it's a transition for some people. It sure was for me. I, for the longest time, I didn't have one. Um, I didn't even have enough crypto to, to, to like put, put in the Harvard wallet, but I definitely am one of those people now that, that thinks that that needs to happen. Um, yeah. Um, Oh, you're discussing the sovereign individual?
3: Nice. Um, Tomorrow, yeah.
1: What does your business do? All right, Leo, hey, I run one of those, uh, I run these generals for uh, Ethereum and Bitcoin. Um, I don't mind Bitcoin. Um, I run it as a node. So I, I keep a copy of Bitcoin. I keep a copy of Ethereum. I run a bunch of validators. Um, I mentioned this earlier in my introduction. I'm an outsider to technology. I, I'm learning to code, so I'm what I want. What I really want to do, I see the Ethereum part of it, especially somewhat of a comparison to JavaScript. Uh, so my business, what it does now, is run Bitcoin nodes and Ethereum nodes. But that's in my hopes of being able to code and somehow make my own apps because it makes me jealous. The whole iPhone revolution passed me by, and you know the people that. Even though, even though the apps didn't work out, I'm jealous of the people that learned how to make apps back then. And so now I'm like, this is happening. And even if my apps don't work out, I should at least learn how to make a wonky app. And because 10 years later, I won't be jealous of the, of the people again, because I'm not going to have it happen to me a second time, you know?
2: <laughs> cool. What else? Okay, so one thing I started thinking about during this, uh, during your talk, is uh, some people mentioned coordination a couple of times. And that's actually a concept that lately I find interesting. I'm still not sure whether it's actually a really interesting concept or whether it's just such a general concept that it seems interesting. But I can imagine that since coordination is uh, can be useful at a lot of different levels, also outside of the economy, there could be. Like non-economic applications of this coordination that uh, crypto offers and i was wondering do you see any possibilities outside of like money and, and, and nfts and stuff like that for uh, for crypto
0: um
1: yeah um there's some i mean i don't i don't know how how, how promising how promising they are uh, i'm trying to look for the slide where i said what crypto isn't okay um the, when I said it's not all out socialism, those are the type of goods I was thinking I'll, um, I'll give you an overview of a couple of them I know. Um, there's this thing in Ethereum called public goods funding. And it's it's all kind of indirectly still monetary because it, it can't get, get away from tokens. You know, the main innovation here is that you're promising the network, some tokens to, to, to run the network and keep the network secure. Um, but the idea of public goods is that you can make something that it's like an open source philosophy that everybody else can use once you've made it, but you can not only fund it by the public, which isn't the new idea, but the idea that's new here is that you can retrospectively fund it. So once something takes off because it's on chain and everybody can just see who made, which wallet made it, who owns that wallet, there's mechanisms to retrospectively fund it. Um, so that's one. There's another one where people are making I heard of there's called uh, Bread Dow or something. I was listening to a podcast where um, what he's doing is and it's still, you know, there's money that's part of it. But that's not what their vision and intention is um, there. And DAO for everybody listening is a decentralized autonomous organization. That's one of the big use cases uh, coming out of Ethereum that because. There's money Legos and these smart contracts and you can make an entire organization just made up of these vending machine logics. And it just runs itself without having a CEO, a C-suite and a traditional corporate sense. But the Brad Dow example I'm mentioning, this, this guy, he his vision was to have everybody come together, pool in money um, and then stake the money. So the money is being lent and it's gaining interest, but the interest it's gaining isn't going back to the people that originally put in the money. The interest that the money is gaining is being again used for a public goods, a social good type scenario. Um, So I think the main takeaway for me at least is that if someone has a non-monetary use case where it's solely for coordination, uh, as you mentioned, it's possible, um, will it work? In the long run. Of course it's working in the short term right now. If people are putting their money together and, and the interest they gain, they they go do stuff with it in, in the public sphere. Uh I don't know if it's going to work in the long run because it's the tokenization is so like a deep inherent part of it. So like that mathematical, economical part of it cannot be detached. And so it's it's hard to say if 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 it's gonna see a place where it's a non-monitor use case and people are trying to you know, think about that of how to how to do coordination without the tokens but i don't i haven't seen a use case so far
2: yeah yeah i can imagine it it will be really hard to get away from the from the the incentivizing thing because i guess as you said without the incentives like you do not have to guarantee your rights so then then you're back at the Byzantine generals problems
4: actually. right right if I understand the question correctly, too, I do see applications around um, use of tokens and NFTs as it relates to high-value items where provenance is of importance, right? If you look at what how much Parmesan cheese gets stolen every year, and right, and there's fake cheese that's flooding the market, and or wine. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's there are wine companies now that issue an NFT that uh, will tell you the story of the grapes when they were planted. And I don't know the vent, you know, they, you, there's all sorts of real crazy options. I mean, I think that's to your point, Probably, I mean, we're in this era where we have no idea where it's going to go. And it's mm-hmm. so early and it's so interesting and it's so big, but nonetheless, if I understand um, the question correctly, I mean, there are, there are use cases where it's not primarily financial and a tradable asset.
1: Yeah, yeah. Supply chain, yeah. You just mentioned a supply chain use case. That's definitely one. Yeah. Yep. Um it, I, that's where I I brought I like to bring up uh, Telmo again, because we were discussing on on Discord of what the what's the application and use case, which is something Nassim Taleb also, you know, questions in his paper. And to, to Peter's point, it's so early that I think a wise thing to do would be comfortable with the fact that we just don't know. Like we didn't. Like we didn't with the with the internet, you know. Um, people had so many different expectations out, out of the internet, and um something out of the out of the left field comes in and, and nobody expected it and it just takes off. Like NFTs were like that to me. Like, till last year, they just got in and it went from being something super like meaningless and stupid to all this money into it, and, and now we're back at is it stupid? Maybe it is. But I think-
4: I think some of it, too, is like what we haven't even talked about gold, right? And so in the traditional world, right, gold is an $11 trillion asset. Mm -hmm. Art uh, in the traditional market is a $1.7 trillion asset class. I mean, like, why does art have value? I mean, gold more than anything, right? Gold only has value because we've accepted it to have value and it's relatively supposedly finite, although that's not true and uh you know just has withstood the test of a belief system of value over a long yeah. period of time and man could you imagine kids hauling gold around ain't gonna happen <laughs> Yeah, to that yeah. black swan event i mean like who's rocking gold then yeah. it has some code on you
1: i mean if you're if you're peter schiffer like there's people that are like yeah. pro gold and they're they're with this whole crypto stuff and they're, they're saying, yeah, I'm with it, but I want it as a representation of gold. I don't want it as a representation of Bitcoin. Um, and, and that's one thing that I was thinking about it. This is such a vast topic that I had to like do my own wrestling exercise inside my head. And that's what I was going with it early on, where this was good for me. And it's not just like something I'm doing out of out of good faith or something. It's good for me because I had to pick which parts of it to talk about because I'm sure there's like the the gold aspect we could go into, and and I'm sure there's others here that are listening either now or or later on that have an entirety of uh, of why this is an important technology. And I said none of that today, and that's totally possible. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. So if Ann Albert or Peter or anybody else listening, you should I'm I'm shilling in on behalf of DecafQuest, but you should do a marketplace discussion just come in and like talk to us and tell me what what else makes this interesting or not interesting you can come in and just like i don't know
0: talk trash about it for an hour i'll still listen you guys are welcome just let me know
1: um
4: i might might take you up on that because nfts to me are just fascinating for a wide variety of reasons Um, yeah much less the you know the creator economy that is is helping unfold. So
1: one uh one cool use case and, and this is only one NFT and, and if uh, if anybody has uh, their Ethereum uh or wallet address on hand, I'm happy to make more and send you them. So send me the address or put it in the Discord or something. But one uh one NFT use case that I think I think is, is fascinating is so I um uh, I think we were exchanging emails one day, uh decaf quest and I. And I was, I'm big on the dot ETH domains. You know, you probably see them on Twitter all over. Um, so I was like, just I don't know, I thinking about it, and I was like, just decap. I'm in that. I was in that zone, thanks to, thanks to. Uh, I hope I don't. I'm forgetting the gentleman's name. Um, the domain, the domain first
0: developer. Um, Peter.
1: Peter. Peter SQ yes. Peter Askew. There you go. So I was. I'm in my Peter Askew era, where I think of good ideas and like I hop on to either. Google.com or these ENS domain things to see if they're available. So I was talking to DecafQuest and I, I got, I got the decafquest.eth domain, but what's one thing that's really different about East domains, which kind of blows my mind is, so let's say there's uh, I think your page on Gumroad is DecafQuest.Gumroad.com. Okay. And uh, Gumroad's awesome. Like it's probably one of the best startups that I've, I've had the pleasure of learning more about. Um, but decafquest. Gumroad.com is still part of Gumroad, right? But with the with the legofication of these Ethereum blockchain things, decafquest.eth could be its own NFT. And I still own it because I haven't sent it to Decaf because he won't make a MetaMask account. But if if there was a subdomain called Peter.decafQuest.eth, that could be an independent entity and an independent NFT. Outside of outside of the control of decafquest.eth. So that's an example of a smart contract. That's a one-way, one-way action. You'd have to think about doing doing that. But if you say prob.decafQuest.eth, you have the option to give it to me in a way that you can't take back and you have no more powers over it. And it's just mine. Um so that's like it it, it enables minor changes um like that and NFTs to me um, are going to keep pushing for minor things and people are going to keep hyping it up and and there's going to be other things that people do and you know investors are going to pump in a billion dollars in that one of the nFT use cases that I think is better uh, is a better than the better use case than monkey pictures and just buying pictures for half a million dollars is like if you prove uh, you know how people have smart locks in their houses and their smart locks and they open with an app or something today but People are online posting about if you if you prove ownership to an NFT, that's the only time you can open a door lock, or uh, a set of the uh, X list of the NFTs can open doors. And there's the difference here again is that there's no middle party. It's just you, your signature, and 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 the door. So I I foresee a lot more of that happening, and I don't know what it is going to be like, but NFTs definitely interest me. So if if that's what you're into, Peter, you should totally uh, talk about it, and I'll
3: I'll I'll sign up. Yep. You're you're on mute. Funny, because
4: what you just touched upon, right? I think it, people talk a lot about utilities in NFTs. And as most people say, you know, buy what you like, that you're, you know, it's a form of art that you might have in your house that you're going to hold for a long period of time with little expectation. To your point on whether you purchase crypto, like buy the NFT without an expectation of return, which is easier said than done. But I think it, it does get, there's some really interesting things with art that to your point... Right. There's, uh, they create in, in some form almost an optionality with no idea of where it might lead and what might happen. Right. If you, to your point on the monkey JPEGs, those, things, those guys are now talking about opening up a real life club in Miami yeah. that you're going to get access <laughs> to by virtue of having a monkey JPEG. Yes. Yeah. I mean, so I just think all, it all reinforces your point previously, like this is the biggest, most interesting possible thing going on with so much promise and so much scam and we don't know where it goes
3: you know it
4: it does pay to get in early anyway and just participate get a MetaMask wallet
1: yeah (laughs) i love that see it's a it's a scam and a ponzi in the same way as philosophy because it, it gives, it pushes you in a rabbit hole with one thing I've noticed. I'm like, I'm not a veteran philosophy person. Okay. I quit my job last year. That's the first time I even paid attention to philosophy and I'm like forever thankful that I am, I am now in a better place than I was last year. So I'm like early, same with physics. I don't study physics a lot before I showed up here, but I think one thing I've noticed both philosophy and physics do is they make you wonder, are you really sure about what you're sure about? And you That's know, right. And crypto does the same thing. You could be like, "Yep, yeah, Bitcoin isn't money," and then it's like, "Well, do you know how what's money?" And then you have this blue screen of death experience, you know. <laughs> and with NFTs, right. you could be like, "Oh, these monkey JPEGs isn't art," and then the next person is like, "What? What is art?" And you're like, "Whoa, man!" You know, you have right. the same like rabbit hole experience as as oh shit, I'm not I'm not sure about what I thought I was sure about. Um, so NFTs do the same thing with with art. I think. Well, I think
4: that's the beauty of crypto. It lays the biggest thing possible, our economy. Um, it lays it bare to your point that nobody knows.
3: Yeah,
4: and a lot. Although of the there, discussion... are, there is it is it, you know there is software that you can see and know it works the way it's supposed to relative to Bitcoin, but yeah,
1: um, that's why it's like uh, not to use the term lindy but it's it's lindy in that every concept you bring up here you can trace back to like hundreds and thousands of years and um and that's what makes it like an infinitely deep argument because people just split into the school of thought or as philippe would say uh uh paradigm people just like people just slip into their paradigm and you can develop ground up logic from whichever paradigm you're you're in and and it'll just be a for or an against argument about something that's been going on for like a thousand years, um, and so you end up learning nothing. So I, <laughs> I hope I hope you know, people listening at least learn a thing or two, or maybe not, and that's okay too. Yeah. You
4: know the the question I the two questions I start with normies more often than not is uh, in, right. The first one's rhetorical: Is the future more software or less software? Mm, interesting. Right. Easy. So then do you want to live in a more decentralized or centralized world? Because if your money is controlled and owned by the government in a way, right. At the next level is taking all this paper out of the system and what China's doing for starters. I mean, you're going to be wholly beholden to a government.
1: Yeah. I've been, you know, I've been, uh, I've been complexity pilled. And I I think I saw Barry is going to come and do hopefully one of these, uh, marketplace discussions, because complexity is, is wild. I wanna like zoom in on the question that you just asked. The, the software piece, I don't have a, a problem with, but the second question is, given given that there's gonna be more and more software, do you want to live in the uh, decentralized world or a centralized world? And I think what complexity opened my eyes to is that before before looking into that from a, from a serious angle, I was maybe the type of guy that would say, the answer is always decentralized, but then, complexity is a scale pilled me. And in that sense, like if it depends on, on with now, now my new answer is it depends on which scale you're talking about, like, right within the context of, and that's like self family, uh, Mm -hmm. town, village, city, state, government, federal. So in a, in a sense of the family, you don't want, I, and this is my new opinion. I was arguing over Thanksgiving with a friend over this, that inside of a house, you don't want four libertarians absolutely at it against each other. There has to be some cohesion, right? So, in inside of a household, I'd rather it be centralized at least to some degree, and I don't want to yeah. live in, inside a house where everybody is just free for all like a Call of Duty game. <laughs> but yeah. maybe maybe that does make sense at the federal level, and so I'm I'm pointing out the concept of multi-scale variety, um, and and maybe that itself is is something we could ask Barry about.
3: Rudy,
5: go. No, no, that's that's a very interesting discussion. I just thought, you know, centralization doesn't mean today what it used to mean, right? When we talk about centralization, because of globalization, centralization is so much more centralized on a complete different scale than it was 30, 40 years ago. And I believe that uh, centralization comes with... uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, also a decentralized guy uh, in general, but it mm-hmm. can be misused in both ways, right? That's 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 pretty much what it is. The center, I, I think this this whole crypto or blockchain uh, question comes, uh, arises and falls with the, with the trust in institutions altogether. So when, when, when you look at the current inflation rates and you could say, yes, that's because of the Russian ukrainian war or you could say it's because of quantitative easing my my understanding is Bernanke just got a nobel prize for this right uh, mm-hmm. idea to uh, unlimited debt so this is something that's probably not even at the forefront of the public discussion right so a lot of stuff happens and we are then confronted with the results of this years later sometimes and and one of the things that I found very interesting especially the Bitcoin guys are very much aligned with the Austrian economists the Austrian economists like hundred years ago are pretty much you know what they said is you know don't trust institutions whenever they whenever whenever government you know thinkers with economy it's probably bad you know uh, not not immediately uh, but you know uh, so that was very very different what the Keynesians said right and uh, yeah. I, I think you know what, what you will see is this uh, if you can trust the money stability, then obviously nobody will care about something like Bitcoin or crypto. If you can trust what you just said, you know, the Parmesan cheese, which I didn't even know, you know, that every single piece of cheese is really yeah. from Parma and it's <laughs> it's worth it. You know, I mean, I, I once heard, you know, that even the fish that they serve in, in, in fancy restaurants is, is probably the fish that you actually pay for because there's not, yeah. and, and, and the same thing is in champagne. If you trust, if, if you trust, a, a trusting person, you know, in in all kind of things, then probably crypto is not even interesting for you as a concept. Yeah. But you know, this whole thing. And and look, I just want to also say uh, just one thing. When we talk about the scams, when when you just look at the newspapers, then obviously, yeah, crypto is a marketplace for for for, for uh what what do you call Ponzi schemas or those kind of things. Yeah. So There's just a difference, right? Between one thing. If you if, I I like what I think Harry said, you know, uh, with this uh uh, 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 the exchanges are exchanges. That's fine. They're market makers, exchanges. But the second thing is, do you keep actually your coins there? Because that's almost like an oxymoron. You know, you now have a decentralized currency that you store at a centralized ba- place, right? Which, which obviously you can avoid with having a uh, uh, the hard wallet somewhere. Anyway, so I I really think you know, it's there's crypto will. That's my point, I guess. You know, crypto all together in blockchain technologies and decentralization, uh, as it will will probably this topic will be uh, kept alive for a long time, you know, uh, as people lose trust in institutions. I guess that's my point.
1: Yeah. By the way, Rudy, I think you're another person that I'd like I'd like I'm curious about your opinions just as as the one you mentioned, not just on physics, but on, on crypto, because you mentioned it previously and I could probably listen to you for an hour if you have an hour so you should also do a marketplace discussion cuz what you just said is so important but there's so much more to it you know you just you just gave us a very compressed version and you're right there's there's a distrust in institutions and that's the natural type of person that like goes into goes into goes into crypto and then there's the type of person who who never questions it or has you know tons of interest or uh, trust in the in the institutions and they don't see the point of it, right? They don't see the difference between like a centralized exchange, like you just mentioned, or a decentralized exchange. I have I have friends like that, and they don't they don't get the the point of it, or they kind of they're like I'm into crypto, and what they mean by that is like they just have money in in a in an exchange somewhere. Um, so, but I'm I'm curious about what you just said more.
5: Um, yeah, sure. So, yeah, I mean the the, the obvious. Two examples of this right you, if you have something like bitcoin and uh you can peer-to-peer you know payments no no middleman in in between you know and and also not deflationary, inflationary all those kind of stuff is great but then people come in you know with the other and that's all very good arguments so nobody can trace you know money uh anymore you know completely you know a personalized way so everything is because obviously bitcoin doesn't really if you have the key, you're the owner, right So it, it cannot be tra- traced back to, to an identity pretty much. you know I think you, you mentioned this before. But then you yeah. obviously you when you talk about child trafficking or, or drug, uh, yeah, money laundering, all those kind of things, you know this, this is obviously possible, right? And this yeah. is always the counter argument and yes, that is true, right? The question is just that's a, that's what I would say, you know the trust on, on both sides. If you want to have this big entity in the middle, let's say central banks, that are responsible for. for and, and by the way, this is also a very interesting topic, probably for another discussion, right? What do central banks do with crypto right now? Very interesting, you know, uh, things that they have actually in mind. They, they I think, the the the, the, the extreme. Uh, I think Harry mentioned China, you know. But think about what the European Union does or the Indian uh, government. These are just you know prototypes right now with crypto, where they say, okay, so every token, every dollar, every euro that you have has a blockchain attached, and that tells us the history of the of how it was spent in its entire life, life bet, but not in an in Sounds a, like a 1984. Bet. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So and then they can actually even build in, you know, there are some nice features of this of this government issued cryptocurrencies. They can actually build in inflation. If you don't spend it, you it loses value automatically, right? Those kind of things. This is a brand new world. And uh obviously, yes, you know, if you can actually do this from a government point of view, you can obviously, you know, uh boost consumption, right? If you, if you get a if your salary is hundred is, percent is only for the first month and then it actually depreciates in value, you better spend your income, you know, quite fast. So so they can actually, yes, uh, remote control the economy. But is this really the stuff is this really the, the society that we want to live in, you know, where, where people actually it, that's that's really the question altogether. It, I don't think, you know, it's, by the way, it's restricted to China. I understand, you know, they are probably the most advanced here, but it's, it's happening also the West.
1: Yeah. And, and, and to some extent, it's like these, it's not to say you can pick one particular example, these examples, you can keep going back in time and you keep seeing parallels of like when, when this whole tornado cache thing happened for everybody else, I'll, I'll summarize it. What it enabled people to do tornado cache is a protocol That's one of those vending machines that I mentioned and what it enabled people to do is make their money anonymous. And, you know, you can you can imagine what a field day terrorists had with that. So when uh, when, when Tornado Cash got banned, my dad called me. He's like, hey, I heard North Korea was into the same thing you were into. Uh, and, and that that also happened when the internet, I just mentioned buying a t-shirt for the first time on the internet in the 90s. And that, that was the end result of encryption. But when encryption first came about, the government banned it because, and they had a point, they have a right point. Like you're telling me I can send you a message and nobody including the government, anybody, nobody can see it. And you're telling me um, the terrorists are not gonna use it. You're telling me North Korea is not gonna use it. And and, you know, the true answer is we don't, they're probably gonna use it. You know, that's the true answer. Uh, And right now with the tornado cash thing, if you're telling me that there's this peer to peer money If you really go into the dark side of it, you know the really, really terrible things in the world—terrorists, child pornography—you can just, you know, name it. You really think if you let people just like send each other money, those people aren't going to use it? The true answer is, of course, they're going to use it. They're probably going to be the first people to use it, you know. Uh, And so there's a very thin line to be like, how do we find a balance? But in the past, with I, I love mentioning crypto as encryption because we got past it somehow. We got past it. Does that mean? it's gonna be a equally good answer this time. It's not, I make it sound very casual buying a t-shirt on the internet. Hopefully it can become as casual, but because we don't know, we're like heading into this wild west, which is an analogy a lot of crypto people make They compare it to the west. Uh, back in the day, you know, you're going to the west and there's gonna be people out there for you. There's gonna be, nobody's gonna be surprised if you got scanned, robbed, you won't, you won't have a customer service to call. Uh, in that sense where we haven't seen what the end of it looks like, Who's to say that it's gonna play out the same as encryption and buying t-shirts on the internet, right? It could be way worse. And so it's, we're, 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 we're good to like stop and pause and have these discussions. And that's why I was like, part of me initially was like, man, this is the worst time to be <laughs> coming in on, on these market discussions and talk about crypto. Everybody's gonna be like, oh, you're, you're like, you're just like the FTX guy. And, but then then the echo in me was like, actually this is the best time. Because this is the time people should be talking about it and learning about it. So hopefully we we don't have many more FTXs. I know there's going to be more, for sure. Hopefully not many more.
4: (laughs) But by the way, those FTXs happen in the old world too, right? WorldCom, Enron, Washington Mutual, United States government. I mean, right, the the lion economy of the world with the federal, with our reserve currency. But Look at our debt. Look at our debt. So, yeah. we've never had no reason not to trust because money just shows up. We print more. So, yeah. it's uh, it sure feels like a reckoning is coming that we papered over in 2001 and then we did it in 2008.
5: And there is yeah. the right the same. That's there's exactly no, what no I feel, th- too, Peter. Exactly, that's what I believe, too. Yeah, it is actually something that was brewing for a long time. And now people are actually looking for solutions, and obviously governments won't like it. So that's also what almost my 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 knee-jerk reaction to all these kind of uh, discussions about crypto. Every time you know there's a crypto crash, you know it's bad bad news. But there's also look, one of the things is clear, right? If Bitcoin becomes big, bigger, much bigger than it is right now, this is definitely a threat to all financial policy around the world. So that's that's just one of the obvious things that's that's why i always believed you know it's they will if it's the bigger it becomes the more opposition it will let act. that's that's just natural it has to be and i'm yeah. not even sure by the way if a bitcoin-based economy would be good for us because it means that the government can do nothing if something yeah. happens i mean you, you, i'm not even sure you know if this is actually i i do understand that they misuse their powers very often but to be completely powerless in 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 if there's a global depression is probably also not not yeah. desirable. I do
4: think some of where we talked about not knowing where we go, though, I, and we talked right about a radical extreme of decentralization, I, I, I suspect we end somewhere where there's a happy medium. I mean, use an example of, right, if you are a large enough investor today, Fidelity and Bank of New York will hold your Bitcoin and Ethereum in custody, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Bank of New York is a, an OG in the in, a, in the United States banking world, so- the fact that somebody big enough could access the custody of Bank of New York is an example of that. I think some form of a happy medium of holding a decentralized store value, whatever you want to call it, software in a centralized institution will, uh, I think, bring a lot of more comfort uh, and regulation, of
3: course. Yeah.